0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we'll be getting into this week is 1992's Reservoir Dogs versus 1993's A Bronx Tale. Keenan, how are we doing today?
1: Yeah, not so
0: bad, mate, you? All good, all good. Uh, Slightly later recording today, just watched Arsenal record a uh, pretty dire... 1-0 1-0 win away at Bodo Glimpt, and uh, I guess that's what Thursday nights are made for.
1: Bodo boys, unbelievable. Great yeah. for an overs bet.
0: Wow, they've been cooking 14 games uh, unbeaten at home in Europe that was and then uh, Mikhail's boys roll into town and scrape a dodgy 1-0 with a goal that bounced back off Saka's face so yeah. that's the Europa yeah. League for you. In
1: the, in the Norwegian league, mate, believe me, they just score goals. <laughs> over two and a half, over two and a half is
0: almost going to But let's kick things off with the news of the week. <music> Euphoria's Sydney Sweeney to star in an executive produce new Barbarella movie. Now, I did message you about this several days ago. Excellent news. Someone I've campaigned for on the podcast to get more roles, and it feels like maybe I'm finally being taken seriously in Hollywood. Hmm. What's the film about? Uh, it, I mean, <laughs> from the picture I gather, I don't know what, what you know about Sidney Sweeney. Um, no. She's most known for certain topless scenes in Euphoria, would probably be a fair way to say this. Very good actress. Don't want that to uh, be misconstrued. But the character of this, it it, it was—it seems like it's some kind of cult movie and looks like uh, the woman's dressed almost like a female He-Man. And I think it's that kind of thing. And nostalgia, as we say every week, seems to be what they're buying back into. So... Yeah. Give all the roles in the world to Sydney Sweeney or Anna Diarmas. And uh, that's my role as an executive producer in Hollywood. Okay. I do also think it's being executive produced by a boyfriend, which may help. Probably. They own a company together, but fair play. I think she's only about 24. So making moves. Um, new Kenneth Branagh, Hercule Poirot movie has been confirmed with another large cast. Now, I don't know if you've seen any of these. No, I haven't. I am going to say I feel like you'd like them, but... I love Poirot. David Suchet, son boy. Yeah, it's... For... I mean, the the concept of... Someone's been murdered. It's kind of like a... I'm
1: reductive a... of Agatha Christie's work. I don't like... Yeah. I, mean,
0: I was going it, to... It's, it's like a less good knives out is probably a nice way to put it. It's, I was going to essentially sell that to say... For a murder film, it's an easy watch. Um, mm. It's not too um, quirky. What have they made thus far? They did Murder on the Orient Express, and then... On the Nile, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's the
0: one. But I've watched both of them at the cinema with TK, and I've not come out of either one. Like, oh, what a waste of time that was. And the cast is kind of like what they do with Knives Out, where they just stack it.
1: I think I'd be disappointed.
0: Well, it depends what your expectations are. Mine are kind of if I'm entertained for an hour and a half, then I'm happy at the end of it, and that's kind of what they are.
1: No, I used to watch it. Uh, probably far. It's a far smaller budget. I used to watch Poirot on my TV. We might not.
0: Well, there you go. Maybe it's, it's time for fun.
1: you to indulge. I think. Yeah, but I'm going to see if Kenneth Branagh has no David Suchet.
0: I can't say I've seen uh, the previous to compare, but if there's any critique of the films, he doesn't seem to be one of the things that I've seen. I think he directs them as well, if I'm not mistaken. He does. He does. Yeah. So there you go. Um, Brendan Fraser said Tom Cruise's Mummy movie flopped as it wasn't fun enough while confirming he'd be on board for a potential sequel.
1: Nah, let it die. He made one good film that actually was a horrendous rewatch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, No, the moment he returns that bad. He's kind Um,
0: of uh, the flavour of the month at the moment, isn't
1: he? Yeah, big brand?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, good, because he took a lot of shit over this.
0: Yeah, I think that's why it seems to be the case. The the thing that does make me uncomfortable is the exact people that made him feel uncomfortable and probably contributed to a lot of his struggles are the the people that are now saying how brilliant it is to see his revival. And it's always rough when you see that and them kind of trying to take some credit for his turnaround.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's sort of always what you get is isn't it?
0: Yeah, uh, South Park is always pretty on the money when it comes to tackling some of these things. But there's the episode with um, Brittany Isn't There, where they run her into the ground and then at the end of the episode, it um, they're turning and looking for Miley Cyrus and it's just on to the next.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, that's why she's headless, actually, for the majority of the episode. <laughs> um, Adam Sandler says his upcoming movie with the Safdie brothers is due to start filming soon, although he's tight-lipped on the premise. Jesus. she has been, been heavy this year, hasn't he, Adam? Yeah, well, I think he's really enjoying that people are enjoying his acting. mm and he's still contracted to make, what, like two to three of these Netflix movies a year. So I yeah. think he just smashes them out. And then he goes and does what he enjoys doing more. He said that he'd love to share what this film's about, but he said the Safdies are so attention to detail and all of this, that he doesn't know what he feels he's allowed to say. So he said, I'll let them do the talking, and then I won't be getting in trouble. I
1: mean, he's Adam Sandler at the, end of the day. What are you going to yeah. do? <laughs>
0: Um, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes gets summer twenty twenty four release date. Okay. Does... now your reaction there is what what I was hoping for? Do you think we hear about films too far in advance these days?
1: A little bit, but like, I get it. You want to build the anticipation, don't you? But no, will I've forgotten about this in two years' time? Yeah, fucking absolutely.
0: Like, should we know what Marvel films coming in, in two thousand twenty five? Like, that? they take the, they take the piss. Though. Yeah. We've established that. Um, and finally... No, not finally. It's the same headline I've copied twice, so uh, ignore that. <laughs> that's the end. I'm rather anticlimactic now. Uh, end to news of the week. Unless you want me to tell you about Poirot again.
1: No, I don't
0: know. No, but we, well, do, have... Enough. we do have two big films to get into, and so let's kick things straight off our dogs hey your names
1: Mr white Mr Blonde, Mr pink why am I mr pink who cares what your name is yeah that's easy for you to say you're mr white you have a cool sounding name let's well, tonight the feel something right.
0: what happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds
1: cut off one of his fingers the little one bam, 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 bam. You're under
0: risk, sugar. <laughs> Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Matson. They're the Reservoir Dogs. I mean, she just gave Tough not to just sing along with that, isn't it?
1: Uh, I think you'll find when you listen to recording later, I was. <laughs>
0: well, there we go then. Um, The synopsis, when a simple jewelry heist goes horribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police informant. Done something that I tried to do on occasion. Now, everyone you speak to now, within reason, will tell you they love this film. You'll hear nothing but good things about it. But that wasn't always the case. So I have the reviews here from 1992. And I don't know if you know much about how it was received initially. And didn't it win at Cannes. So it was... It did well within the critic circles. Yeah,
1: didn't, it win, didn't it actually win some at camp?
0: I don't know, to be honest with you, which is a bad start. I know there was an incident where Tarantino had to stand up during one of these big festivals and tell him to stop it because he'd filmed it in widescreen and they were showing it and cutting off half of his frame. Um but there were far more critics than you'd believe now that hated the film that didn't oh, really? understand what he was trying to do. And a lot
1: of I actually think you're giving are you giving it a bit too much credence. So I still think there's a lot of blue not I still think there's an awful lot of people who don't know what he was trying to do.
0: Oh maybe uh I've just not spoken to them, and maybe that's a, that's a good test of your circle, maybe. I
1: love this film, so...
0: Yeah, how, I mean, have you spoken to people that hate
1: it? Oh, it sounds a lot of people who don't like it. Mm. Well... My dad, for one. Okay, my dad, plays, <laughs> my dad does dislike this film a lot.
0: Certainly, if you go on IMDb, you go on Rotten Tomatoes, now all of these, and you look at the critics' reviews, certainly the most recent, it's glowing praise.
1: Yeah, but that's people trying to fit in. It's the Pulp fiction effect.
0: Well, here's some from 92. The only thing Mr. Tarantino spells out is the violence. The movie isn't really about anything. It is the most dreadful movie ever made, or at least ever given a general release. By this, I do not mean that it's dreadfully bad, or even dreadfully sad. I wish to signify that it is evil. That sounds like something we used to get for the Sandler films.
1: Yeah, it's just pouring it. <laughs> I know people kicked off a lot about the the scene,
0: but oh yeah, we'll get to that. It's just a flashy, stylistically daring exercise in cinematic mayhem. The movie feels like it's going to be terrific, but Tarantino's script doesn't have much curiosity about these guys. He has an idea and trusts the idea to drive the plot. That was Roger Ebert, by the way. It's, a,
1: it's quite a fair... It's it's quite a fair review, in
0: fairness. So, if you do read the full review, and I think he gave it two stars, he... Cool. He basically says, from what I saw, I just wanted so much more. And then, I, I, I guess you get Pulp Fiction next, and it's like, well, I guess this is what I, <laughs> this is what I wanted.
1: Yeah, I get that. Um for all the things I love about this film, I do understand that you could do more. There's, it's there's some, some half-assed attempts to, Not disrespect, but there are some of the attempts to flesh out who these characters are just feel, yeah, feel just feel mm-hmm. half-assed.
0: Stylish but empty testosterone meltdown. Is it just? guns and suits and you just call that testosterone because we don't have the fast charged cars. We don't have machine guns. You you don't have bikini clad women. You get a car chase. Would this be what you'd call a testosterone kind of film? Usually. Is there a woman in it barring the waitress? No. When I think of, so say you say empty testosterone meltdown, I would say like fast and furious nine.
1: Well, I presume the film because it's basically just
0: an all male cast, is not it? There's probably more females in that, to be fair.
1: Well, Fast and Furious. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was talking. Oh, about okay, this.
0: okay. Well, we'll go through the film. If you have any categories you think I've missed, of course, jump in as always. If we start with the budget, so. Tarantino was initially armed with $30,000 and a 16mm camera and he was all set to just make the film with a bunch of his friends, including his producing partner, Lawrence Bender, who was going to play Nice Guy Eddie. He then received an answer phone message from Harvey Keitel asking if he could not only be in the film, but help produce it. Mm -hmm. Keitel had gotten involved. This is a convoluted one. So, Lawrence Bender's wife knew Harvey Keitel and mentioned this film to him. He loves the sound of it, gets involved, and then his involvement just helps to raise the budget to one and a half million. Mm -hmm. They say to avoid alienating the film's backers, Lawrence Bender ensured that they just shot all of the Tamer scenes first so that the dailies would just strengthen the backers' confidence and then they could just get into the nasty stuff later on.
1: Smart, move. Yeah.
0: In twenty fourteen, Tarantino revealed in an interview that the entire soundtrack budget was spent on securing Stuck in the Middle with You, as we've just yeah. heard in the trailer. Um he says he was content having no other music in the film as long as he could use that song. The other songs were secured thanks to the producers managing to make a record deal for the soundtrack, and it was Tarantino that pushed to ensure that his dialogue remained in the movie soundtrack, which is similar to what you get if you play about the Django one now. Yeah. Uh, The budget was so low that many of the actors were asked to simply bring their own clothing as wardrobe, most notably Chris Penn's track jacket. The black suits were provided free by the designer because of her love for the American crime film genre. Buscemi wore his own black jeans instead of suit pants, and Madsen wore a jacket and pants that came from two different suits. So they all put their own little twist on it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Madonna, who is the main topic of conversation, for the opening scene, really liked the film, but refuted Tarantino's interpretation of her song, Like a Virgin, that she says it's about a girl that just loves big dicks. Mm -hmm. And so she gave him a copy of her erotica album, signed to Quentin. It's not about dick, it's about love. Madonna. And maybe my favorite one of this, the budget wouldn't cover police assistance for traffic control so in the scene where Bashemi has to force a woman out of their car and drive off in it he could only do it when the traffic lights were green mm-hmm. so um, seems like everyone was chipping in nobody seemed to think they were above this film which obviously works out for the best yeah it does Tarantino originally wanted to play Mr. Pink mm-hmm. and any actor that came into audition for it, he essentially made them aware: you need to blow me away because I want to play this part. But Shemi comes in to do it and uh, smashes the audition, gets the part. So all's well that ends well, and uh, Tarantino shifts to Mr. Brown.
1: It's probably some audition, mind, don't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Tim Roth refused to read for the film. Instead, he just insisted on going out drinking with Tarantino and Keitel and convinced them during the space of the night. Class. Imagine your next job interview, turning up with that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No preps. We should have a pint shower.
0: What makes you think uh, you're the best person for this job? Well, I brought this bottle with me. If you just want a bit of this, we'll take a step outside. Someone once offered
1: me a job in the pub. Did you take it? No, it was less money than I was on now. But
0: someone uh, once offered me a job in a sauna. Working in or no, no, <laughs> didn't take it either. Um, realized how creepy that was after the fact. Actually, did not know him at all, and he was offering to pick me up after uh, pick me up from my house uh, daily.
1: Yeah, weird. Um, don't picture you as a big sauna guy.
0: No, um, I had a phase where I tried to convince myself that. I would be a gym guy mm. and I would go and I knew nothing. And it's <laughs> one of many things to put me off going to the gym. I'd essentially go and use the same couple of machines, probably not correctly, go in the sauna, go in a steam room, and then probably be home within about an hour. Okay expensive-ish gym as well, just because I wanted one that was within walking distance and uh, then I got screwed over by them afterwards. So if I said no. that all's well, that ends well before, this one this one didn't end well. Okay. And that's what you get for trying to be healthy.
1: Yeah, it's no good for you.
0: A lot of the casting here is very good. Shemi and I think others have spoken about this as well. They've spoken about basically what a nightmare Lawrence Tierney was.
1: Yeah, apparently he's an absolute
0: arsehole. Yeah, he says he kept being distracted, kept forgetting his lines. Tarantino and everyone else was so upset that he initially fired him on the third day of filming.
1: Yeah, they ch- ended up chopping a lot of him up.
0: Mm. And one of these where I guess you never know how accurate these are, as we've been shown by speaking with the directors, but Madsen originally auditioned for the part of Mr. Pink, George Clooney read for the role of Mr. Blonde, but was turned down. Christopher Walken refused the role of Mr. Blonde. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson auditioned for the role of Mr. Orange. Once Tim Roth was cast, Tarantino wanted him to play Mr. Blonde or Mr. Pink, but they eventually settled elsewhere. And Robert Forster auditioned for the part of Joe Cabo. He doesn't get the role, but then goes on to play Max Cherry and Jackie Brown.
1: Yeah, you read a lot of stories about him keeping people in mind.
0: That is good, because I've got to think, and even for these high-profile guys, you probably hear that almost every time you don't get a part.
1: Oh, well, I'll keep you in mind for something yeah. else.
0: Because I mean, even we've probably gone for interviews or spoke to people, like, oh, I'll keep you in mind. And you know, deep down, that's probably just what you're supposed to be told. And yeah, yeah he it. does seem like he really does have it in mind.
1: Well, he does seem like he always keeps people in mind. Um, which, again, I think I, I like that.
0: Yeah, because it doesn't seem. For your first film, now I know he gets a level of budget, but that takes some doing to be turning down some of these guys just because you feel they aren't the kind of right kind of fit for your film. We've spoken before, haven't we, about the difference in, say, QPR getting money and uh, maybe like Newcastle getting money now, Chelsea, and there's the ways of spending it. And the QPR method would have been just squeezing all of these guys in just to get their name on the poster. But you turn down there, Samuel L. Jackson, George Clooney, Robert Forster and he's told various high-profile actors that he disagrees with the role they want.
1: He said that him and his sorry. Sorry, sorry. I think everything that we, we know about in these days should really make any of this stuff no. surprising.
0: No, he said that him and his producer were the least experienced people on set and mm. even it's a modest budget by Hollywood standards but...
1: For an indie, mate, it's pretty big. Yeah, it's <laughs>
0: If you gave me a tenth of that to do whatever kind of project, you'd be overwhelmed, and it seems like he always had the right people around him and a very clear vision.
1: Yeah. we had a couple of producing partners, didn't they?
0: Yeah. The heist itself, first of all, before we even get into it, what do you think of the decision to go, shall we say, the Goodfellas route as we've gone previously? Just don't show it.
1: It makes it. It's better, it makes it work.
0: If it he had a bigger budget, do you think he would have shown it? Yes. Is that just because what you think of him as a director, or the sum of parts that he had?
1: Uh, as a director, you'd think he'd want it. Enough. Look at his films and fucking, there's just gratuitous violence everywhere. People get shot during the heist, etc. You're telling me if he had the budget, he wouldn't show them?
0: But in this, he kind of, and we're talking about a film in which. Um, someone's ears cut off. But he probably could go slightly further in this if he wanted to, and he holds back. And I, I don't know how much of that, as we'd say, would be the budget.
1: Mm-hmm. Or maybe
0: he did just kind of like this secluded feel. I don't
1: know. I think with the heist, if he had a chance, he would have included it. It's a big set piece, isn't
0: it? Yeah, because we're doing a Bronx tale after this, which is quite literally from a play. Mm-hmm. This, if if I had the two in front of me and I had to pick out which one of these was a theatre production, all of my money would be on Reservoir Dogs because it fits perfectly. You could just easily see this as a stage show. And that's what made me wonder if it was intentionally like that. Do you think you still feel the seclusion of the warehouse if you've seen the big blockbuster beforehand? Because Or do you feel you'd almost just be wanting to get out of the warehouse if that was the case.
1: I don't think you'd want to get out. I think if, if everything happened as it does in the warehouse, you'd still be as improved.
0: Okay. Tim Roth in, the, in this film, it's fair to say he does spend 90% of this film screaming. Mm-hmm. And... I did rewind just to see Buscemi shoving people out the way. There's the one guy who shouts "asshole" like it's the last word he's ever going to shout in his life. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Puts a a few stiff arms out there big (laughs) speed,
0: doesn't it? Um, Then White informs him that Brown's dead, Blue and Blonde are missing, and Blonde murdered several civilians during the heist. You've got White is furious with Joe, um, that he would employ a guy that he describes as a psychopath, and we find out that Pink has hidden the diamonds nearby. Um, and this early debate as to whether White should get medical attention for Orange or uh, or not. This This whole sequence is some of my favorite sequences in the film because... Buscemi's the guy for me in this film. I don't know for you who's who's the guy when they're on screen, you're just... Tim Roth. Tim Roth. Even with, I guess, the lack of what we get from him in some respects.
1: He's what I think of when I think of this film.
0: Is he the guy that you're wanting to see on screen? like, his, or I'm quite happy to see
1: it, any of them on screen. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: Um, it is good, though, because we've got the uh, opening scene, which we will kind of go back to. But I feel you find out more about their characters in just this short space of time. And you spoke about the need for uh, so some things, like you didn't need the background stories and all of that.
1: Uh, if like I, I really like the scene where Tim Roth explains his background. In fact, the scene where he's where he's, they give you the story about him being yeah. in the toilet with the coppers is brilliant Great story. Yeah. um, is very very good. I even like the Michael Madsen ones, fresh out of jail, Joe and Sean Penn, yep. fucking around like play fighting and stuff. Um, and you find out he's the big criminal link. But there's you, some I would you just like a little more.
0: Do you think um, the rat is kind of revealed too soon? If they don't go as heavy. On some of the other characters first, um, because the the first kind of hour of the hour and forty film is essentially the who's the mole, yeah. and it's it's one of those films for an hour.
1: Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I suppose it depends what you do with the time, doesn't it? Are you, just, are you saying you just shorten it? Or if you're moving, you moving parts, wouldn't you?
0: No, I think it. I think it's correct. And I actually, I think one of the best things about this film is that it has a shorter runtime compared to his other productions. I think, and I don't ever want to mention the film again, to be honest, but free fire. We spoke about the fact that they almost didn't grip your attention at all. And they certainly weren't able to hold it yeah. during the film. And I think with the runtime of this, they hold it just enough because for all the time they're in there, there's enough happening. It's not super chaotic. No, and yet everything's held perfectly we get just enough kind of outside and i never feel like while we're outside i'm desperate to get back to the warehouse i feel like there's enough there's enough going on out there to entertain us but it is cool seeing it all slowly pieced together the jumbled narrative and all of these things i think it's done really well certainly up to this point to just establish everyone for who they are and Buscemi, yeah, I'm trying to think how to describe describe my thoughts about Buscemi in this, because I think think he's brilliant. This and probably The Sopranos are probably the two best things I've seen him in, and maybe if I could have had more screen time for him, that would be the only thing I would change.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: My take that I was going to save for later is... I actually think Steve Buscemi is Nicolas Cage if he ever managed to find the right balance. What do you mean? I think he has the perfect level of quirkiness and seriousness that he can still play these normal roles. I don't think Nicolas Cage... Nicolas Cage still always has that weirdness around him. And I think Steve Buscemi nailed that and he's nailed it pretty early on. And I think he's just right in this in particular.
1: Okay, I see what you're saying
0: now. Sounded better when I was writing it down.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I get, I get, you, I get your point. I do.
0: Before we get to actually some of the the scenes, if we could talk about Tarantino's style because we've kind of skirted around it before to talk about the specific films, but I think it's very appropriate to discuss it in this, because this is essentially him laying out what he wants to do for the next 20-plus years. Yeah. He starts the film with a conversation about Madonna's album, and he must have known that he had something here that nobody else was doing, and he wanted to set his soul out early.
1: I think he actually starts with a conversation about us the lights went out in Georgia.
0: It's him speaking, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it does open up, and then they're talking about Andy, and from Michael Martin says for all the times that he's heard the song, didn't know Andy was the one who killed him.
0: And very, very good song. Just the fact that it's him opening it. Do you think this him is him kind of putting down a marker?
1: Yeah, very possibly. I mean, I imagine. Well, like you were. It's, it sounds as though it wasn't going to be him though, isn't it? so
0: I question whether he moved it around regardless. I think whether if he was played Mr. Pink, I think he opens this up. I think if he's playing whoever, I think he's having the opening lines in this film.
1: Hmm. Interesting take. I think, uh, I think if you do that and you open up there, you run into problems later on in the scene. I think Mr. Pink is the perfect character to deliver the bit about tipping. Because um, yeah. he talks about being professional throughout the film, etc. But if you then have, say, it's Tarantino and you have him doing this and then doing that, you lose, you lose interaction between the other characters, so which is become which is important in this.
0: His his whole kind of normal conversation that's his trademark, isn't it? Yeah, benign nice
1: conversation in the in in the course of big events.
0: Do you think he? could ever have envisioned how much audiences would take to this, or do you think there's something within him that he just knew the whole time there's a real gap for this and he can't believe no one else is doing it I mean, knowing what
1: we know now right, and it's very easy to say this now but it seems so obvious because you're not talking about fucking the meaning of life for 100% of your day, are you? No I mean, once in a while you might have an incredibly deep conversation and then once in a while you might have a meaningful conversation once you might have a deeper, meaningful conversation. Do you know what I mean? But most of the time we're talking, you just chat and shit, especially, I can't really say about black women because I don't know the experience, but with blokes, most of the time you just chat and, shit and you know, What He said in
0: 1994, I became an adjective far sooner than I thought I was going to. And this is when copycat films start coming out and mm. he would frequently tell this story around the time of going to Harvey Cartel's house to discuss the Reservoir Dog script. And he was asked, how'd you come up with this script? Did you live in a tough guy neighborhood growing up? Was anyone in your family connected with tough guys? How the hell did you come to write this? And he said, well, I, I just watched movies.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it feels so obvious now in hindsight, as you've just said, He clarified, most movie characters talk about the plot too much. Most of us don't talk about the plot in our lives. We talk all around things. We talk about the bullshit, the gang members in these films. They're talking about Pam Greer and Silver Surfer comics and Madonna lyrics. And he really makes a point of saying, this isn't just because I thought these are the conversations that me and my friends were having. But he says the question he wanted to ask is what would happen if a thriller or a heist movie or a cop movie kind of happened around you and your participants, I think he says, what if they were too dozy to notice? And that makes perfect sense when you see it like that and you do get these just conversations that never feel like they're being forced in there they never feel like I guess they never feel like they're scripted is the best compliment to say they do feel like bog-standard conversations yeah and the fact that he opens with it I think he must have known even if it's subconsciously this is where I make my mark and this is what I need to show people that I'm all about right from the get-go yeah I
1: mean I would I'd probably say, I mean, I imagine it's a a lot of conscious choices rather than subconscious.
0: So, because do you think in the long run, do you think there's any difference if we actually see a heist and then we flash back to before and you have this conversation in there? Um, Or does it overpower it and maybe it's less memorable?
1: The conversation definitely becomes less memorable. The heist needed would need need to build towards more of a crescendo, which obviously it doesn't. It wouldn't have the chance to if it's your opening, especially in a short run film like Heat. I know opens with a heist, but that brings you up to plateau to then bring you up again. Whereas it, it really manages to do that because it's got time to make you care about the players involved. Whereas in an hour and forty. You do you do in this, but you are doing this because it's so dialogue heavy.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, what's what's the set piece you've got? The end, the Mexican yeah. standoff. You've got obviously the Madsen scenes, your big set piece, and then even your big focus is, is the scene in the diner, like Kaito and Tim Roth driving away whilst he's been shot to fuck. Is it, it's more, it's more, it's closer to a segue. Like it, it, it doesn't it feels both big and inconsequential in the context of the film.
0: What what he did always makes me think of um, how podcasts came around and the difference between podcasts and radio and tuning in to hear the same, you know, tell us about what your first pet is today, phone in and let us know. And then the main appeal for podcasts initially were, you were just tuning in to hearing other people's conversations almost. It, it was... The feel and of
1: topics that you were interested in. Yeah,
0: and it was the feel of these people could almost not know the microphones were not there. And it you know, just they'd still be having this same conversation and we're just kind of a fly on the wall of that. Yeah. And that's how it feels with this. It feels like such an obvious thing when we see it now, because we mock it and they mock it in, say, Austin Powers or whatever. And it would be the bad guy saying you know, I've got seven minutes left and I'm going to do this and this and this and I'm going to tell you everything that I'm going to do here. Or even just in what we would consider good action films from back in the day, they're still saying, so you're saying we need to do this and then this and then they're in a car going, you know, I'm really concerned that this may happen. Yeah. And he just changed it completely to the point where it just feels robotic now if you don't get something like that. And it does mean that we can call out the quite blatant imitations in this, where it feels like it's very formulaic, like insert 90s TV show, two thousand song, whatever, tick, mm. tick. It's just some balance that just in his head, he's just managed to nail. And then from everything else that happened in the film, I still think that scene would still be memorable and I still think people would have spoken about it afterwards. Yeah, I get what you say. Where do you stand on tipping? We just tip, do Do you have a set amount you tip? Yeah, you try and do 10%. I think it's such an American thing. Yeah,
1: no, it is what it is. I mean, if i going out 70 quid or whatever, it's seven quid's not going to kill me.
0: I found myself agreeing with Mr. Pink. It was the first thing I thought of when I saw it the first time.
1: Mm.
0: It's not my fault this business is refusing to pay you what you're worth. And they, you let these businesses off when people are guilt tripped into tipping.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't. I, I You seem to have thought about this process a lot more deeply than I have, but just think,
0: it is what it is. Well, that's that's my thing. I think it kind of it shouldn't be what it is.
1: Well, I, I I don't really see the reason for for not.
0: He makes a good point in that. Why don't we tip people in McDonald's? I I'd be far more inclined to tip someone for my twenty nuggets, fillet fish, and a Big Mac.
1: Um. I don't know. I mean, the American attitude to tipping as a whole is vastly different to the British. Like, it's less forceful here and less expected.
0: Yeah, they're nuts over there if you don't do it. Yeah. Um, which guy is it again? Is it Mr. Blue that has the stats? Yeah. It's one of the, it's one of them that's really passionate, like he's been waiting his whole life to have this conversation.
1: It's it's just hardly quite helpful, isn't
0: it? You know, this is the one profession that all women can do, regardless of qualification. And he's guilty. To be fair, you wouldn't see me uh, bickering over $1 when someone else has bought the breakfast. I don't want to put myself on that level.
1: Mm.
0: But as you say, it goes a long way in what's like a five-minute scene? Yeah, it's not... They're giving us a pretty good grasp on each what each character's kind of little quirks are.
1: Yeah, which then get get revealed to all really fright this course of the film, don't they?
0: Yeah, like by the time it gets to Tim Roth on the floor bleeding out and the conversation as to whether he should be brought to a hospital, if you did, and we've spoken about the kind of 4DX and all these other things, if they pause that film there and that you had to vote as to what's this character going to think and what's this character going to think, I think you'd have a pretty good idea that Mr. Pink is going to be the guy that's going to say, well, look, I feel bad for him, but ultimately business is business. We can't compromise ourselves and vice versa. And we've only seen him for what, five minutes before that. You know there yeah wait if you don't answer
1: sorry I lost you for a second what did you say
0: I said that if you put it to a vote then I think you'd already know that with, even just after five minutes this Buscemi is going to take the stance of look we're professionals mm. I can't take you to hospital feel for you but this is how it's got to be and then vice versa and so yeah, it I, does I, do a lot for you
1: yeah I think it's a uh, I also think Buscemi makes the right play yeah absolutely Bank's been robbed. Reports of shots and blow turns up. And also with six bullet wounds and him. Give me Sherlock Holmes to figure that one out. <laughs>
0: um, I'm not sure it would be any consolation for you on the deck that. Well, look, it takes a long time for for this to kill you. Being mm. shot in the stomach it's one of these. You're gonna feel like you want to die,
1: but... but you're just gonna keep hanging around.
0: And I'm not sure that would be any kind of consolation for you in the moment. No, I don't think it
1: would be at all.
0: What do you think about them starting to build this kind of Tarantino-verse from early on? You've got a couple of links, haven't you? Like Mr. Blonde's real name is Vic Vega. Mm -hmm. The same surname as Vince Vega from Pulp Fiction. And Tarantino's revealed that Vic and Vince are brothers and he intended to do a prequel to both films called Double V Vega, which would star the Vega brothers, but Madsen and Travolta eventually got too old to reprise their roles and Tarantino has since abandoned it.
1: It's sad, because that would have been brilliant.
0: There's a whole list you can find online with yeah, all the sorts abandoned of Tarantino projects.
1: <laughs> yeah, and in terms of the universe, if you have a look online, you can find all the different bits and bobs but um, such and such being the great father, of great grandfather, so and so,
0: and just the projects that he kind of mentioned, he would be interested in, but never got to. I wonder if we'll get that Django and Zorro with uh, Antonio Banderas.
1: God, that'd be good. Uh,
0: one of the radio ads heard in the background is the Jack Rabbit Slims, the fifties uh, themed restaurant, the home of the five dollar milkshake from *Pulp Fiction*. Mm-hmm. The soft drink cup that Mister Blonde is drinking from is from the Big Kahuna Burger. Displays no logo, but has the narrow red diagonal stripes. Uh, And in Mr. White's flashback, Joe asked him about a girl named Alabama, a reference to uh, Patricia Arquette's character from True Romance. Mm -hmm. Tarantino stated that he originally intended this character to meet up with Mr. White and to become partners in crime. When True Romance was released, the ending was changed and this backstory became inconsistent, so Alabama never went on to meet up with Mr. White.
1: Yeah, moves really it's 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 really well worked, right? it's' some of it's so subtle.
0: And I find that a lot cooler in the internet age, so to say, when you can see these things that I don't consider myself observant enough. So I would notice the Alabama one and I noticed the Vegas surname, but I would never notice the logos from the burger place and the advert on the radio in the background. Yeah. And so the fact that these days someone can point that out for you and it's very cool when you look back and I've referenced a hundred times on here, the viral marketing for Cloverfield where someone would point the things out from that and the little Easter eggs. Yeah. I love things like that.
1: Yeah, it's all subtlety, isn't it? Um, And it makes a big difference.
0: Do you think when Tarantino uh, hangs the camera up, so to speak, do you think maybe he'll do some more writing in the way that
1: no, Michael Mann's
0: now. He wants to write books, doesn't he? So is that is that a thing? Do you think he'll do that? Do you think? We'll yeah, maybe no, he's, get... he's always said he wants to write books. Do you think because he will? Because he's very down kind down. of flip-flap, isn't he?
1: Yeah, it might change. But, I mean, he's been, he has been saying he's sort of stuck to that story for a very long time.
0: It would really be good to get some further background on these characters and mm. continue and have the crossovers and things like that.
1: Uh, yes it would Yeah, I I do as much as I love reading I'd love him to write books
0: it's a shame that some of it won't be
1: committed to film
0: yeah because do you think he's the type so say he wrote a background story where two of these characters cross over and he said he won't direct any more films do you think he'd allow someone else to direct his work no 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 I don't think so do you Everything you know, know about
1: him suggests that as a director, he is all consumed.
0: Is there a thing where, say, it's someone he really respected? I, I, I don't
1: know. I don't think so. I don't think so personally. Just it doesn't fit in with the nature of one. W-
0: I wonder if just because, and he always says kind of what a movie buff he is, if he would like, if he'd be interested to see someone else's interpretation of his work or if maybe selfishly he'd like to see it but wouldn't like a wider audience to see someone else's take on his work in case it wasn't up to his vision
1: Um, I just yeah I think that would be a big part of it just it'd be very hard for him to pass those reins over and leave it to someone else I think if you're a director coming in it'd be fucking awful as well
0: but yeah, you have to not only make a Tarantino film, but you have to make it one, I guess it would have to feel like a Tarantino film, but not feel like a rip-off and be mm. better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, With the critics' reviews then, so a large part of the marketing for this after the fact is kind of how shocking the film mm-hmm. was perceived to be could have been very different Harvey Weinstein um, he didn't want the torture scene in the film he said it would have a real negative effect on audiences Tarantino stands his ground and Weinstein ultimately relents
1: fucking dick
0: (laughs) I'm sure you've seen this story before Wes Craven famously walked out of a screening of Reservoir Dogs in 1992 Mm. and Tarantino famously said I can't believe the guy who directed Last House on the Left Walks Out of Reservoir Dogs. Um, Craven said, Last House was about the evils and horrors of violence. It did not mean to glorify it. This movie glorifies it. Um,
1: yeah, it does. Yeah, you can't... There, there isn't... There's not like, oh, no, it doesn't. It, it, it does. I,
0: I disagree. And in... I still think it's, it's wildly unnecessary. Any any
1: heist any heist film where violence is used is going to glorify violence. I as would you've used violence to get to those means.
0: I would say the racist sequences in this film, as I was just said, they're, they're still wildly unnecessary, but they yeah. feel like they're included. And Tarantino has said as much that these aren't supposed to be likable people, like. These are supposed to be a group of scumbags, essentially, with varying degrees of intelligence that have genius within them. And I thought those sequences are supposed to remind you almost the kind of guys these are. And so in that sense, I would question whether it's still glorifying it if we're looking at these guys as scumbags.
1: But I don't think you do.
0: I think... I actually think it's split.
1: I don't think you look at them as bad bad enough people because basically they're just cool as fuck.
0: And that's I would the say... Oh, I get the colours mixed up. Just Buscemi, it I, just name it. I would say Buscemi, Keitel and Roth are the good guys or the bad guys. And the others certainly come off to have greater degrees of villainy within them. Um,
1: I, I don't know. I do do I I do I d do, I don't I don't necessarily agree. I think even for all Michael Madsen is supposed to be, I'm still quite a cool bloke.
0: I would say that the ones a policeman The other two, it feels like they're very much doing it because it's a business, whereas the others, it feels like they react far easier to the killing of civilians to, I guess, the grubby nature of it all. It feels like it's more than just business for them, and Mm -hmm. that would be why I would separate them. They seem to enjoy it more.
1: I think they're just more taken with the cost of doing business if your business is robbing banks, there's a chance someone's going to
0: get hurt. Yeah. Fair. fair. Um, It's interesting now that we have to not show things to be shocking. If you look at how it was handled in Sicario that we did two weeks ago and how certain elements of prisoners were handled Mm. with this. Now I know you don't literally see him slicing through his ear but you see all butts and you see his bloody hand with the ear in it and he's making these crass comments
2: mm-hmm.
0: so it does feel like we've perhaps had a turning point since then because now if you saw him cut through his ear in in today's cinema that would be a 15 and we wouldn't bat an eyelid I don't think
1: no difference I was going to but they've seen by this that...
0: point hmm We've seen Saw by this point, so it's like yeah. everything is kind of hit differently after that. Shock value cinema has taken over <laughs> almost.
1: Yeah, yeah, very true.
0: Like the I know a big part of the word of mouth with this was I had to look away. You should see how horrible this is. This this yeah. guy with the ear and all of this. The closest that I can remember in my lifetime would be um, the dark night. I remember hearing about this uh, the pencil. Uh, pencil trick and I remember mm. hearing about how gruesome it was and hearing how shocking it was. And I, I remember hearing like a warning about it on the radio and I didn't see the dark night in cinemas. Mm. And I don't know how many more people that convinced to go and see Batman or maybe um, the torture scene in Casino Royale, maybe yeah a
1: little bit lighter that though wasn't
0: it yeah just just something where something that's supposed to be something shocking is going that way to spreading it with the word of mouth and with this in nineteen ninety two if you tell people that you see a guy's ear get cut off, you don't need to cut through it because the 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 sheer idea of that happening I think is enough to uh get the right tongues wagging.
1: Yeah. No, I I get you. I get what you're saying.
0: Um, at several points, Tim Roth had lain in the pool of fake blood for so long that the blood had dried out Mm. and he had to be peeled off the floor, which took several minutes at a time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I took down a quote here from the New Yorker that spoke about how this film has aged. And I thought it would be interesting for you to hear. They say, both of these metrics, how violent and how realistic a film is judged to be, are volatile commodities on the film historical stock exchange. Nothing dates faster than realism, and today's excessive violence is tomorrow's cinematic aperitif. Um that's yes.
1: pretty much the point you were just making, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, they say the first thing to strike a contemporary viewer of Reservoir Dogs, of course, is how comparatively non-violent it is. We see a couple of shootouts, a carjacking and a cop being beaten up but nothing that you wouldn't see today on an episode of 24.
1: Yeah, I get it, but that is all true, isn't it? But it's funny, it's a victim of its own success. If they're saying it's a negative, films like this is exactly why we've reached the point that you, you have.
0: The actual piece was almost questioning how audiences today enjoy it as much when a lot of the things that were selling points for it in 1992 don't stack up today. And whether we appreciate different things now, whether you know what you're going in for because you've... I don't know how many people today start their Tarantino journey with Reservoir Dogs.
1: Uh, I imagine there was quite a few. I imagine there's been a lot of people on board for a long time.
0: I mean, nowadays, if someone is today, I don't know how many people the first Tarantino film they'll see will be Reservoir Dogs.
1: No, I don't... Yeah, maybe, actually, sorry. um,
0: What what would you say, Django? What is the film you think of? So if someone today... Yeah. If someone's never seen a Tarantino film before, the film they're most likely to either stumble upon... To stick on first, if they were like, I'm going to start Tarantino. I've never seen a Tarantino film,
1: Pulp Fiction.
0: You reckon? You reckon that's where most people would start. I think so. I think that's probably. Do you, think, do you, think you can stumble across Pulp Fiction today because I would say a lot of the shocking parts of Pulp Fiction probably do still stack up today in comparison to Reservoir Dogs.
1: But I think in terms of stumbling upon it, I think it's just the one you're most likely to run into, mate.
0: Yeah, I saw the poster of Pulp Fiction probably fifteen years before I ever saw Pulp Fiction,
1: and I imagine that is the, that is the same of for so many people.
0: I used to love um, flicking through the posters in HMV. So did I, and that's one of those things that I I do this. Never,
1: never bought one.
0: They're I quite <laughs> price,
1: they were quite pricey.
0: Here's um, something actually. So. <laughs> I remember buying what at the moment in HMV I thought was a prison break poster. Yeah. And getting it home and um I didn't know quite what a gay icon Wentworth Miller was. <laughs> <laughs> and it was essentially a poster for look, if you thought Wentworth Miller was a good looking guy. <laughs> Was it this would be the poster you would put on your wall. Um in a pair of Calvins, was it? No, no, it was it was almost just it was just his face basically, but it was it wasn't a prison break poster. Right. it was only when I like unrolled it and put it on the wall. I think I went for a piss and I walked back and it kind of caught my hmm
2: that
0: doesn't quite have the feel that I thought it was going to. Nice. And um I think for so long I just wanted to buy a poster in HMV yeah that that I because a similar time actually a kid I went to school with I bought him as a Christmas present um with whatever few quill had I bought him a Liverpool poster um and it was a P- Peter Crouch was the feature yeah uh, on the poster, so that probably puts in the the time frame that we're talking about here, yeah, but that was good um just the whole thing even of just not knowing what poster you were gonna flick on next, obviously you yeah. a Pokemon one in there.
1: Pokemon,
0: it's still massive for his husband. Um, so that, that was quite a good uh, little memory of your son, like there, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And we get maybe a sense of uh, where this film could go and where Tarantino can go when Mr. Blonde says, Listen, kill, I'm not going to bullshit you, all right? I don't give a good fuck what you know or don't know, but I'm going to torture you anyway, regardless. Not to get mm-hmm. information. It's amusing to me to, co- to torture a cop. You can say anything you want, so I've heard it all before. All you can do is pray for a quick death, which you ain't going to get.
1: But, um, it's funny, because that line of speech played a lot into why people were so shocked by this.
0: Several police forces spoke out against this film. Yeah. I... Which, do people yeah. still not understand what a great marketing tool that is?
1: I know, but it's a case of what are you going to do they can't you you sort of can't stay silent can you
0: no and it's it's a thing everywhere isn't it but just from films the 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 term cop killer mm-hmm. is just such a thing isn't it yeah that i guess putting it on film quite plainly that this is going to happen but then for some <laughs> they say that the scene perhaps, well, some say the film, the scene was more palatable for that reason. It wasn't an ordinary person. Which it was what? just the cops and robbers. This is what they do to each other.
1: Yeah, I get that. But the there is a lot of people, they the like, the pure or the evilness of the act is what killed. Cause there's no, well, he said he's not looking for information. It's not done to progress anything. It basically gives him a. It basically gives him a chance to use Steeler's wheel. Yeah. Um, the story of Michael Madsen not wanting to dance is very funny as well.
0: There's there's some interesting stories about him, and I didn't take some down just because. Uh, he's a, he's a It just felt guy. like bullshit. Yeah, he's a bit of a different guy. There was there's a big story with this where they say he was really uncomfortable doing these scenes because he doesn't like violence and he's really against mm-hmm. it. The bloke's made a living off... Like, I swear he's been in like 10 action films.
1: Yeah. But he's all played a bit part in a lot of it. He's not, he's not in all of them does he get so involved.
0: And so do you think maybe that's why the scene... Does Does that do anything but a scene that is him doing it?
1: His character, not him. Does because he- Nick is basically played as your arm.
0: Yeah, he has the look certainly oh, more yes, than anyone certainly. else. Yeah. And um, it is, as you just said then, the kind of presence of the character. And he 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 just So he does those... contribute,
1: but he contributes because he's he, he obviously does contribute. It's just he's a fucking unit. Yeah, like, yeah. if you put Bashemi there, I suppose it's about, if you put Bashem there, no disrespect to him, but it's more serial killer vibes. Um, it's less intimidating if it's Harvey Keitel or Chris Penn.
0: Yeah. What do you think of Chris Penn in this? Banging.
1: Walks in, steals the scenes, walks out. When he starts if... losing his head at the end about pointing the, <laughs> pointing the gun at his heart.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll actually put that down. Um, if I was kind of ordering best to worst He'd probably be second worst for me. Poor. He feels a bit too much. That uh, is literally the point. He. He reminds me of um, Rappaport and True Romance. Mm,
1: he's better than Rappaport and True Romance. Don't
0: disagree there. Don't disagree there. Me and him have got beef. Can't remember what over. I just I know mean, that we
1: do. I'm gonna presume he doesn't know who you are.
0: No, he does. Um, we. I think we went back and forth once, and then he blocked me.
1: Seems a bit of a weird guy.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I can't even. I'll, I'll, I'll try me. <laughs> I was gonna say that like it would be a teaser for next week, but um, I find out what that was. It's troubling me. I think it. Was to do with Floyd Mayweather, maybe.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not sure. Why well, it's it's not interesting enough to spend any more time on. Mm-hmm. Um, the see the song they do use. So they're stuck in the middle with you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think any pop song there would have worked, or is there just something with that? Because as I said, straight after the trailer. There's just something about it has that to be a, song. It has to be upbeat. You shouldn't be tapping along with that while that's happening, should you? And that's ultimately the idea.
1: It's got to be somewhat upbeat, which the beginning of the song very much is. He um, obviously it just because it's got a juxtaposition. Yeah, can't even speak? It's got a. It's got a play off against the gravity of the scene, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, and it obviously is done really well. I think he says. Um, he quotes what he's about to uh, sing, doesn't he? I think he says, I really like, uh, you ever listen to k Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s weekend? It's my personal favourite. And that's just, mm. he gets his razor out. Yeah. What's the guy says? Um, he says about his face, doesn't he? He says he's deformed, I think, mm. which is the least of his worries in that moment. Yeah. Um, the ending now when I was looking at the criticisms, if there was any critique of the ending, people felt it was unsatisf- unsatisfactory.
1: What would you want to happen? Serious? Questions. That's
0: my question to you, actually.
1: <laughs> no, I'd like to hear you
0: give an answer. What? I'm happy. With, I'm happy with the ending. I. I don't really see how you can end it any other way. I would like a little more clarity on Steve Fischemi's character because I feel mm. like. Tarantino's come out and explained what happens to him and it feels like maybe they just weren't sure how to handle that on camera with it it feeling conclusive I I think they get somewhere stuck in the middle but there's no issue with me, I think if I was to say it feels predictable, it feels predictable now because this set the stall out so I can't even hold that against it
1: No, it's very fair Uh, I also really like the end of this film by the way
0: I feel like when you've not laid out a clear good guy and a clear bad guy, then it almost always has to be this way. Yeah, you you not you're
1: not necessarily rooting for anyone to live all, or not higher. So it's a uh, there's no great shock if someone gets someone goes or no great despair, I should say.
0: Yeah, Colin Kaepernick, by the way, my beef with put I was on Kaepernick's side, just for clarity. (laughs) Um, He was being uh, deliberately obtuse in uh, not understanding what was going on. Okay. So Tarantino says, Mr. Pink survives. He says, you can verify... No, this is what someone else said. I've got a quote for him somewhere. Um, When Mr. Pink runs out of the building with the diamonds, police officers can be heard shouting at him to put his hands on the ground. Gunshots can be heard, then Mr. Pink shouts that he has been shot. You can hear the officers talking to each other as he's arrested. However, having participated in a robbery with such huge loss of life, he would undoubtedly have faced the death penalty. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you don't get much, much on that shit. No, because I don't feel they'd laid out Mr. Pink as enough of the kind of middle poster character yeah, for us to be particularly afflicted if he is or isn't arrested?
1: No, I agree.
0: It would actually, now, I would say it feels very Tarantino if the guy that we all least cared about made it off with the money. Yes, it would, yeah. Gee, how much of this... How much of this film, do you think he maybe had some grander, quirkier ideas and he had to see what worked in this one before he moved on to a bigger production?
1: I think mean, this is definitely a tester.
0: He said right. within about a fortnight of this film being released that he knew he could he could make films for as long as he wanted for the rest of his life.
1: Yeah, he's probably he's completely correct as well this.
0: Well, yeah, obviously, it works out wonderfully. um Film picks up as it gets to uh, that kind of home video release. Yeah. But have that for a lot of uh, these films that we've discussed that people just didn't appreciate at the time? Or uh, there weren't enough people kind of yelling from uh, the rooftops, you need to go and see this film. Yeah.
1: I, I, get, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think. It's a different
0: time, though, as well, not it? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't have it here. I've done it previously. When you look at the cinema listings around this time, always, yeah, it's, always it's me like me banger after banger after banger. Yeah, exactly. And you can just be buried in and amongst it. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add before we move on?
1: No, I mean, we've i mean we, i think we've we both explained our love for the uh, maybe i've not given it enough credit enough praise um it's probably it like we both love the film i'm really surprised how much you like this film
0: um, um it just didn't i was never struck I, me as one you'd love i like i like the format of it more than anything and i I've spoke before and this is there's a lot more to this but I think we spoke about Phone Booth and we spoke about Buried and we spoke about that kind of film where everything is contained. Yeah. And I think I'd have liked this just as much if there were no cutscenes. like if we just had the start, them getting to the warehouse and then everything was kind of in those four walls. Yeah. Um, But I just really liked the gradual decline of that. I really liked... When they go in the boot and there's the shot and obviously we do see the policeman, but it reminded me of them opening the briefcase in Pulp Fiction and I just wondered oh, yeah. if he liked that.
1: Strange it always reminds it reminds me of Goodfellas.
0: What the shot of the three yeah, of man. them.
1: Opening the boot, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I guess um, that could be the case, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's, it's a it's a great film. I mean it obviously it springboards a career that's put in some absolute work. Um, the casting's great. The dialogue's just it's so good. Oh look, yeah it's meant mate honestly. I, th-
0: I think it definitely benefits him in this instance that either he has someone there to um put their arm around him and say save that for another day or he felt slightly like he was still under pressure at this point so I think it all all works well I think you could get a lot of great Tarantino films if you just told him you have 90 minutes because I think he can just build chaos so quickly that sometimes you don't necessarily need, I mean the films are getting longer, you don't need three hours but I think once he's put a deadline on himself, he probably just has this notepad full of so many of these conversations he wants to put on camera and he just needs to something to fit around it. And if he wants to have a conversation, probably say hear something about like a Game of Thrones episode during someone being buried alive. If I was just to throw the dice and yeah, the random ones, like he's probably just got so many of these that he wants to get out there, and he's just kind of handcuffed himself with this deadline. He's he's, he's noted down
1: yeah but it does it leads it lets the pace and run well for this because this would be with everything that happens if there's not another couple of set pieces and big thing i think it's hard to drag if we're looking at two hours 15 here i think you all maybe mine possibly mine i think our let's say our collectively i think our opinion would, would be skewed would skew out a little bit elsewhere for this
0: yeah i think it's just right
1: yeah no i i agree i do agree um I don't agree for sort of all of his films that they need to be shorter. Like Django, Django, um, I love. I like you can just leave that as it is. Kill Bill is the same. Uh, what Kill Bill won, especially?
0: Uh, the, that wasn't me saying because I, I like I like long films. It was just I think he has a lot of concepts that if you said to him you only have this, then I think he could give you the best hour forty that you're going to go to the cinema and watch. Okay. And so I think he just has that within him. I think he could perfectly give you enough set pieces. I think he can have enough of this, and I think he would really work well in that format as he's demonstrated here. So, be interesting to see him do it again. I think I think a Kill Kill Bill style film of just that short length would be great. But who am I to to tell him what um he needs to be doing? And if I was in his shoes and I said I only had one left, I'd look at the fact that people have sat down and watched like a Justice League director's cut and said... Uh, I
1: think that's what's coming.
0: I oh, think you're having a five-hour film. Well, he, he did it... He wanted to release Kill Bill as one, didn't he? Like a five-hour film. Uh-huh. And they wouldn't let him.
1: Shot as one, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, and uh, there some. I think there was some scenes that we never got to see that if you're a friend of his, was it once a year? He, he screens it at his own private yeah. cinema
1: yeah
0: maybe he is one of these and uh, flies us out who knows um let's move on then to our second film of the day
2: savoy pictures presents robert de niro in his directorial debut
1: a devoted father. This is my son, not yours. What are you gonna fight with? Must battle the local crime boss.
2: Is it better to be loved or feared? I would rather be feared. It's fear that keeps them loyal to me. Not... For the life of this son.
1: I inframe you for well, you should. Stay away from my son! Lover De Niro of Tale, rated R. Special sneak Preview Friday and
0: Saturday. I'm not sure I'll go to see the film if I see that trailer
1: uh I, I i agree i yeah i mean we'll get into it but everything i know about this film barring de niro and commentary says that it it's not going to be great and then you
0: put it on and it's well yeah i mean a, a bigger one have you seen the poster for this
1: yeah, is it not uh, Charles Palantir and Robert De Niro just having it like a face to face?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't. And you've got between them, you've got um, Caligero kind of running like it's an action movie shot. It, it didn't. I think they, in the marketing, at least from just these two bits I've seen, I think they found it tough to get the tone out there.
1: It was good. I mean, it, it, it would be. It's, sorry. It was always going to be difficult to get the tone out there. Because it's the least, it's possibly the least mob mob film ever.
0: Yeah, because it just looks like, um, it looks like a boxing poster, doesn't it? It's uh, very yeah. strange. But anyway, one man lives in the neighbourhood, another man owns it. A devoted father battles the local crime boss for the life of his son. Good synopsis. Yeah. What do you think the critics thought of this? 6.5 out
1: of 10.
0: Um, De Niro deepens his portrait of a son and two fathers with a wonderfully expansive sense of place and time. A Bronx Tale is a deliciously well-observed memory piece about growing up in the 60s that marks the vital debut of director Robert De Niro. De Niro proves to be just as much a force behind the camera as he does in front of it, a superb debut and a gripping movie. The Bronx Tale is a very funny movie sometimes and very touching at other times. It's filled with life, colourful characters and great lines of dialogue. Finally, Mr. De Niro is able to lend toughness to an ending that risks becoming overpowerfully sentimental and instead succeeds in conveying a strong sense of father-son love. Had you seen this film before? This was my first time viewing it yesterday.
1: No, I've seen this like, I've seen this quite a lot.
0: Really? Because it's, it's not necessarily an easy watch or what we would put in that bracket.
1: I fucking love this one. I reckon I've... I honestly... I, 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 yes, there's probably the fifth or sixth time I've ever seen it. Blimey.
0: So... Spoiler... Not really a spoiler, but early doors here, I can say I, I did love the film. Um, it shook me. I don't know why you do this. I
1: actually didn't think you'd like it. Because, like you say, it's not an easy watch, and there's not, for the spells, mate, not a great deal is going on.
0: Well, I had no clue about the tone going in. And I started the film I had fairly lowish expectations, not so much for the film, but for what I was going to think of it at 10 o'clock on a Wednesday evening. Hmm. And I would say the voiceover ish, the voiceover at the start was good. Yeah. The intro music comes in, and I thought, okay, you've got my attention. And then probably, and we'll get to the individual scenes, when he's got the lineup in the street, yeah, is probably the point where I. Kind of caught myself and realised how into the film I was.
2: Yeah,
0: and it's to do with the 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 two main characters and and uh, both versions of um, Caligero, to be honest. Yeah, I think just the fact that it felt different was what hit home because I thought from the poster that it was going to be these kind of two juggernauts clashing and then it never really I think by the time you get to the end you re- they were never really against each other at all
1: no they're, they're, they're both they're, they're both trying to guide the kid down the same path aren't they? they're just doing it in different ways so what is coming towards the light, one is stay away from the dark, you know what I
0: mean yeah the, the story is written by Charles Palmentari and is adapted from his autobiographical one-man play. Mm. His real name is Calagero Lorenzo Palminteri. Yeah. And several studios approached him to purchase the film rights with at least one of them offering a million dollars. He refused to sell it unless he could write the screenplay and play the role of Sonny. None of the studios agreed as they wanted to hire another actor. Yeah. And then De Niro hears about this and reads it through himself and he offers to go into a 50-50 partnership with all of Parmenteri's conditions met, as long as De Niro could direct and play Lorenzo.
1: Ah, it's just going to be one of my questions for you.
0: So, Parmenteri agrees, says, no need for a contract. We'll shake hands here. That's all we need. Some boys, And, uh, the wheels are set in motion.
1: Mm. I always wondered why, he, or from like, when I because when I first watched it, so I found out it was his play. I always wondered why he uh, he, he didn't direct it, but it makes sense. I mean, sometimes you need a bit of weight behind you, don't you? Yeah. So 90, 93, just off the back of Goodfellas, on Kate Cape Fear, who's saying no oh, to Big Bad Bobby?
0: <laughs> well, he also wanted Parliamentary to be involved in every aspect of the production.
1: I think you. So... I, I I think the studios were would have missed out on that if they wouldn't like letting him be in it it i don't know if she said they didn't want him to act but were they going to let him write the screenplay i think for the guy who wrote it as intimate knowledge like the most intimate knowledge of the the story letting him write a screenplay because he knows the characters he's writing about he he knows how they're going to speak it, even if it's because i doubt that i doubt i doubt the dialogue is i've never seen the play obviously but i doubt the dialogue is adapted word for word
0: Well, he brings him in, he's involved in the casting, he's involved in scouting the locations, he's Mm -hmm. involved in the editing, he's involved right down to the sound mixing. Mm -hmm. And so for a guy who doesn't have that experience, he's coming off the back of working with Scorsese, obviously. So um, it's a good partnership to be in. And I would imagine that it would be tough to direct... I mean, Terry, maybe this is what the studios are thinking. If his vision is completely separate to what they're trying to do. Yeah. And so to just make it feel like a collaborative effort, and it helps that the collaborative vision was such a great one. Yeah. Just went a long way to guaranteeing what they were able to get. Like with the casting, De Niro was really struggling to find a suitable actor to portray Eddie Mush. Yeah. So he asks Chads to get involved and he just goes and finds the real Eddie Mush to play himself. They find him in the same neighborhood, still losing bets, and they get him on board.
1: Legend. I didn't know that. I saw. Yeah.
0: They um they end up searching across New York City and Long Island for a teenager to play the role of Caligero, Mm. and a scout noticed um, Lillo Brancato on Jones Beach. For the majority of his childhood, he'd been obsessed with De Niro. They say he drew tattoos on himself when Cape Fear came out. He would just walk around recreating scenes from Goodfellas. He does this impression in front of a casting director. And within like a week, he sat down with De Niro.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe my favorite bit of the trivia was Catherine Narducci, who I wondered where I recognized her from. And she's in The Sopranos, isn't she? Yeah. Um she brings her nine year old son to the open casting call to audition for the role of young Collegero. She sees that the role of the mother's available and auditions while she's there. She ends up getting the part. Her son, unfortunately, you <laughs> gotta stay out. <laughs> yeah, Bond.
1: Oh, well, uh, it's a life lesson. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice bit of trivia. Um, I don't suppose, I mean, the parliamentary stories is, is interesting. My big question of for you about Charles Palomarero is: How is this guy never never really worked with Scorsese?
0: I don't know because. Um...
1: So let me let let me lay it out for you. They're yeah. they're not a too dissimilar age. I think there's less than ten years between them. They grew up so in and around the same time. They grew up in and around the same neighbourhood of New York, right? both Italian-American, not saying all Italian-Americans know each other, obviously not, but they both in and around the same time, get into the same industry. So the two New York guys, I know there's a lot of actors in New York, but there's two, there two New York guys. They've both got something to do with stage. They're both things getting into acting and so on. You have to think at some point, there has got to be a crossover. They've got to know someone. So if they both get bigger.
0: I find it difficult to believe that Scorsese at least doesn't read through the script of his production at the very least my thing with casting him would be does he look too overpowering to be anything but a leading man
1: no because he does a lot of side he does a lot of side bits mate he's a side bit in the usual suspects
0: my dates are all out um well then, yeah. There's a I'm good. Not question good. I wasn't.
1: I wasn't talking necessarily good, fellas. I just mean in general. No,
0: just way. in general, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're telling me after he's done this, you 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 can't find a way for him in casino.
0: Yeah. So I know he carries on going and touring his production after this. He does, yeah. And I imagine Great it's a lot more popular by
1: the way, because this this done a bit of bits at the box office, and then at, like the theater box office after the fact. Sheets. Yeah. Big one was on all sorts of runs, so banged it back on Broadway and all, all sorts.
0: And there is something with him, and and now that you've said that, I find it strange because he looks like nothing but a leading man to me.
1: Have a look at his IMDB, but I promise you, he's done all sorts. Yeah, of
0: no, things. no, I, I don't. He's a phenomenal.
1: Um, like he's a great character actor. But that's yes, just, he's got a leading man in him, but he's a great character. The way,
0: actor. the way certainly he's framed in this, and that's what's fresh in my mind. It feels. Almost like you wouldn't want him to be anything else.
1: No, I think he he just could do a lot. Tell him he could have bonded the, bond, the fired into the Irishman.
0: Yeah, I did see I did see that down the line.
1: Um No no, it was in like you like you could have fit in there, couldn't he? Do you know what I mean? There's an older guy, I don't know. Just Was he not
0: in there? I know um Catherine uh, Narducci ends up being in there. He was in the Irishman. No, role. that's uh, trivia. Uh, I've read so much of it in the, in the last uh, 72 hours that um, De Niro had to get a commercial bus driver's licence to be able to uh, film this. Yeah.
2: Danny
0: Not quite as know. glamorous as some of the, uh, oh, I had to go and do this to make a yeah. film.
1: Yeah.
0: But hey, if it would have all gone Pete Tong. Yeah. Frank Vincent was supposed to appear in a scene as the boss of a mafia family, but the scene was not filmed. Shame. I was convinced I spotted him in the uh, bar scene, and I thought, I actually wrote in my notes until I had to check after, that they just brought him in to beat the fuck out of someone again. Yeah, R.I.P. No Which none. would have been unbelievable if they just bring him in for a bar fight. <laughs> yeah, some boy. Um, Philip Garbarino, the actor that plays Sonny's killer at the end of the movie, was yeah. one of the two finalists to play the adult Collegero. Um, when Lilo Brancato was cast in the role, Galbrino was given the role as the adult version of the son of the man that Sonny killed in the beginning of the film. Yeah. So it's not quite like a Tarantino callback, but No still meant so to be me in me. the film. Yeah. Did you read that article I sent you, by the way? about? Uh... No, I forgot. So, I won't, I won't spell the whole thing out for you, but he winds up getting addicted to all kinds of drugs almost immediately after this film. He mm. he gets some big roles after this, but essentially doesn't. It, it was just so easy. He's just cast at 17 years old or whatever he was yeah. in this massive film, and he recalls before the film came out, De Niro invited himself round to dinner at his family's house. He sits at the head of the table and he tells him, You need to be aware in a week, two weeks' time, your life is going to drastically change and it's never going to be the same again. Mm. And far greater people than yourself have been affected by this. Yeah. And you need to make sure it doesn't it the same doesn't happen to you. It's
1: good advice or good outlook.
0: And obviously, That doesn't happen. And he says he never really had before, but he smoked weed before the scene in which he asked Sonny, is it better to be loved or feared? Mm. And he said Parliamentary took him to the side after filming it and basically told him the same thing. I get the feeling that you're about to fuck your life up. And you need to listen to me, and ensure that doesn't happen because you've got great potential.
2: Yeah.
0: And he said he was truly serious. He sat him down like it was like like he was his son. Yeah. And he said I had two of the people that should really be able to get that message home to you, and they didn't. And he goes down a path until he's involved in a house robbery. Yeah. That a police a policeman ends up being murdered.
2: Jesus.
0: He gets he didn't fire a weapon and he testifies in court that he didn't know the other person was bringing a weapon. Yeah. And he gets eight years in prison.
1: Fucking hell.
0: He comes out and says it's from God and all of this, but in, in the article they're quite open and they say that he's very defensive about certain things and maybe it hasn't learned his <laughs> lesson in some aspects. And Yeah he was going to come straight out and he was going to be an American sniper, but his parole wouldn't allow him to travel to Morocco to do some filming. Jesus Christ. But his, his life and someone from the ringer comes in and they sit and watch the film with him and they get their own kind of audio commentary. Yeah. But he says like the whole thing of wasted talent, like that is me. It literally applies to me. Yeah. Um, It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Or further down the line, Parliamentary's asked about him, and he basically says, "Don't ask me about that guy." Like, he he'd previously reached out and during his court case and everything tried to help him, Mm. and he didn't take the help. And so I think it was like, "Well, fuck yourself then." And I think once all the all the details came out, and he's labelled as what you can imagine, he's labelled. He's distanced and he says, I can't blame any of these people for for doing that. But it's just, as you've just said, the art being there. I don't know what the phrase you just used was, but it sounded good. You what? I don't know what the phrase you just used was about the art kind of. uh, Oh,
1: it sounds like
0: There you go um yeah there you go and it maybe i didn't know this when i watched it but it, it hit a little differently when i was watching clips afterwards yeah yeah because it feels like he's he's talking to the man but imagine De Niro coming around your house for dinner man
1: yeah that'd be pretty sick
0: <laughs> so a description of this a boy comes of age in italian american neighborhood in the bronx his, his dad gives him a piece of advice. Nothing's more tragic than wasted talent. And a street corner gangster gives him another piece of advice. Nobody really cares. And the film is about him kind of, these two pieces of advice that feel contradictory actually work very nicely in tandem. Mm-hmm. I thought if we start off with the various pieces of advice they're given throughout this film mm-hmm. and then we'll go back and cross off any territory that we've left uncovered afterwards Yeah. so Sonny says Mickey Mantle, is that what you're upset about? Mantle makes 100000 a year how much does your father make? you don't know, we'll see if your father can't pay the rent, go ask Mickey Mantle and see what he tells mm-hmm. you Mantle don't care about you, so why should you care about him? Nobody cares what a bleak outlook on sport <laughs> if we were to follow very, by that. I
1: mean it's very true, isn't it? It's,
0: it is. I don't want to think about whether Thierry Henry would pay my rent.
1: It's uh, like, like I like many others, and um, yourself included, I don't like sports people. I yeah love sports. Like no questions asked. Um but the futility of it isn't lost on me.
0: No and the the good thing with this is you take something in that moment that we can all relate to. Like 90% of the people that watch this film at least say support one sports team across mm-hmm. all sports. And the idea that that one thing when said to a nine-year-old can just completely warp his thinking to the point where he doesn't even want to look at his baseball cards anymore. He doesn't want to think about the sport. It just early doors just shows the power that this man has and the influence he has over someone so young. Yeah. Caligero's says uh, he owes me $20. It's been 2 mm-hmm. weeks now and every time he sees me he keeps dodging me. He's going a real pain in my ass. Should I crack him one or what? Sonny says, sometimes hurting somebody ain't the answer. First of all, is he a good friend of yours? No, I don't even like him. And he says, you don't even like him. There's your answer right there. Look at it this way. It costs you $20 to get rid of him. He's out of your life for $20. You got off cheap. Forget him.
1: I have uh, I have used that piece of advice once in my life. For slightly more than £20, it wasn't such a cheap deal. But I for a certain individual, I just stopped asking them for the money back and they, as soon as I did that, there was nothing, nothing that came back from them.
0: No, and I think everyone has been in a situation where they have lent someone money that you think after, am I going to get that back? And for one, you learn a lesson and two, like that, as you say, if that's what things were based around, then uh, that's the best port call in I think throughout this, and I've got various other pieces of advice, you see as the film goes on that you stop looking at Sonny as strictly being this mob kingpin. And you do yeah. see that his intentions aren't that he's just using the kid.
1: No, I think, it's, I think the Bond and his approach towards him, I think is evident quite early on.
0: Yeah, usually uh, in films though it would be that he kind of gets what he needs from him, and then the minute the kid will tell someone, "No, we're friends." It would be he's not your friend, blah blah blah. Yeah,
1: yeah yes, you're right. It's the typical trope, but I do think the bond between them is, like I say, is evident quite early on. He gives him some early advice. He seems takes when he uh, when obviously him and son him and. Uh, Lorenzo have their, their little little face off in in the in the bar or in the restaurant Unreal. when he says, uh, "My kid told me that Mickey Mantle won't pay my rent." He looks genuinely proud that the kids take yeah. his advice on board. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean the the opening credits, with I wonder why. I Great mean, song. You, just, you take this little trip through the neighborhood to kind of humanize the mob guys, mm-hmm. show how they're just as much a part of the furniture, and it's kind of live and let live. Yeah, and it goes a long way because it basically hammers home that these people aren't going out of their way to uh, avoid these people that they're living among them. Like you would have with like aliens in films, like they've been here the whole time. Yeah. And Caligero, like we all do really when we watch these (laughs) kind of films just becomes enamored with that criminal life and the mafia presence in his neighborhood that's led by Sonny. Yeah, and then right from the get go, we just got this framing off of Lorenzo and Sonny across from each other. I mean, when Caligero says, I'm not in the mood for steak, and he says, You know, how many times I have to drive the bus so this family can eat steak once a week? Yeah, I think he says, I think he answers and he says, Seven, and then he looks a bit. Like, and then they do this back and forth where the kid that the the young kid that plays him by the way is really good in this
1: yeah, really good, fantastic don't do any you don't do much game of him
0: no no he um I actually noted down the most significant role he's played in the last like twenty years is he's noted down as warehouse guy in crank two.
1: Yeah, I don't know whether it was a choice or what the deal was.
0: Well, he's carried on acting, but it's just no significant roles, really.
1: Uh, that's sad, because he's very, very good. Like, Yeah, and he's really good in this because
0: he comes across as... He's just like a cute kid. And, like, he's quite charming in how he comes across, like in yeah, your cheekiness. December,
1: yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. Just like a cheeky little kid.
0: Yeah, when he says... Um, he's asked something and he said, well, I took a shot. And to yeah. what can I say? He took a shot.
1: <laughs> That's me, mate. That's, that, I love that. You know, when he and says, then he, took a shot.
0: he says, don't go to the, When his mum's saying, don't go to the bar. And he says, oh, is this why uh, dad can't go to the bar as well? Yeah. When he's just reeling off the baseball facts, asking if he can get his ice cream. hmm He's really good. And then one day he witnesses Sonny shooting and killing a man. Mm-hmm. For assaulting his friend, and then he chooses to keep quiet. That scene is so incredibly tense.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure as a nine year old, I'd have read the It's the signs my old man's trying to play
0: out. No, and my my question, first of all, did Lorenzo want him to snitch? No. Did he have the same confliction? That his son has later, where he wishes he could have, but ultimately knows the consequences.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. He, he, he wants him to keep be, be quiet because you don't want that work.
0: He did a bad thing for a good. Uh, he did a good thing for a bad person.
1: Yeah, and that, that often the way in life. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, just the, as he goes up the line, I was wondering if he was going to blame someone else to save Sonny because we know.
1: He's already aware of who Sonny is, right? You know
0: I mean? Yeah. And we're fresh off the back of uh, Never Rat on Your Friends in Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. And we've got we've got De Niro hammering that home. It's It's just really good. The close ups just to hammer home just how much bigger all of these people are. When he's wheeled out. I know you've not seen Game of Thrones, but there's a scene in which uh, a woman is shamed and she's wheeled out in front of the whole village or whatever it would be. And you kind of see each person's reaction as they go past. And that's what you get here as he just slowly yeah. walks through this almost like a tunnel to get to the row of suspects.
1: Yeah, he's shot at a really nice height as well.
0: Yeah. everybody just drives home, just... It's just a small kid, yeah, who's just found his way into this world that he has no place being a part of, yeah. And then once we've got past this, we get the side of mob movies that certainly after Goodfellas, we're all tuning in to see, and it's this kind of underground, the games going on. Mm-hmm. It's
1: the it's, it's strangely it's the camaraderie, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it's really good because ultimately, I'm sure, we'd quite like to not be working in a day and just be hanging around.
1: Yeah, shooting some dice, yeah, and a few beers with the boys. Yeah, that sounds pretty perfect. Yeah, and they start banging mush and that in the toilet as well. And he's again when he's on about his face, and you start. I don't want like his.
0: Him. I don't want his face looking yeah. at his face well, he as rolls, he rolls.
1: Shooting, dice. Yeah, in the toilet, you go.
0: <laughs> Coffee cake, poor bloke.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great nickname, huh? <laughs> Um,
0: and yeah, and then we've got probably like, if you take every racist out of this, mm. his mum might be a villain in this film. Uh, yeah, she does not back the beef when the beef needs to be backed. No. She, Lorenzo she, needs that support and she is nowhere to be seen.
1: When they're offering that job running numbers and she's like, yeah. Oh, do with the money. She's straight on it. They're bad oh. people until they're trying to put something in my pocket.
0: Oh, six hundred a week. Um And then even down the line when he's got the six hundred. Yeah. I'm just going, why, you know, why don't we turn this bad thing into a good thing? I just think Lorenzo's the man you want
1: to be, but Sonny's the guy you want to be.
0: Nice. They should have put that on the poster. You
1: know what I mean? You want it. You, you want to be a good man and like do the right thing and stand up for your family, but ultimately, hey, you want to be the guy.
0: What do you think about Palmentieri not getting his name on the poster? Don't know. Only De Niro's name on the poster. Did not know that. I've
1: seen the I've... poster a thousand times, never recognised it.
0: Yeah, it's just De Niro. It spans the width of the poster.
1: He's your he is your A side, don't
0: he? And it doesn't say directed by, but it's more of a Palmenteri movie than a De Niro movie, isn't it?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, most definitely.
0: Um, but yeah, it, like, if he, it said directed by, I would maybe understand it more.
1: I don't know. Well, it sounds as though that was a choice because you'd like how collaborative and how involved in everything you said he was. Yeah. If he needs a mixing sound, you've got to believe he's got some input into the visual as well, no?
0: Maybe De Niro's saying that this isn't my choice, this is uh, we got to trust these guys. Don't be as big as it can be. People will yeah. know your name after the fact.
1: Maybe. Um, I mean, like I say, with what happened to him taking this back out on the road and stuff, I, I think you can probably forgive not being on the poster.
0: Yeah. But the point at which his son has that $600 mm. is he's been emasculated really yeah. from the second his son looks up to these guys of course and it, and it reaches a breaking point. Yeah. Now, the scene after that, I, I, I do think is the best scene in the film. I think probably could have done it for this podcast, but I didn't think to, I think it's going to be at least a top three De Niro scene for me. Strictly in terms of his performance. Okay. Because there's more entertaining scenes in Goodfellas and I could pick out three scenes in Goodfellas or whatever you want to do. Yeah, But I think if I was saying the best I've seen De Niro, I think this is the most I've felt him in anything I've seen him do. Okay. Because you know, Goodfellas, I feel like know, he's playing De Niro. Raging, you ever seen Raging Bull? I have, yeah. And maybe I need a refresher on that because yeah, I've not really. seen it in quite some time.
1: Even I mean he's great for out, but even the end where he gives the he gives the little monologue from on the waterfront.
0: It um I guess of all of the of all of the films, this is the most relatable role. Yeah. Because even like the specifics are hard to relate to, but the idea
1: yeah, you want to do the right thing, you want to look after your family, you're standing up for you trying to keep your kid away from that life yeah, of course it is
0: because his son says um, something like Sonny's right the working man is a sucker or something like that,
1: That's, that's what he says yeah
0: and he says he's wrong it don't take much strength to pull a trigger but try getting up every morning, day after day and work for a living, let's see him try that then we'll see who the real tough guy is. The working man is the tough guy. Your father's the tough guy. He's just pleading with him at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And he knows just from looking at his son that he doesn't he doesn't agree he doesn't agree with him. No. And he continues right the way through, like a, a rare comparison if I was to compare this to click. <clears throat> but there's the point, isn't there, where his, his dad's died and this is the last time he sees his dad yeah. and he's, he's screaming at his dad when he's playing it back. Like, talk to him, talk to him or whatever. Yeah. And when his dad's inviting him to the fights and he's kind of, uh, well, can I just let you know tomorrow? Yeah. And they get to the fights and him going, oh, I wish I brought my binoculars. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. Are you buying the tickets?
1: Yeah. By the no. way, not bad seats. What, the old man's got?
0: Yeah.
1: No, it reminds me of when we went to Wembley.
0: And we would have been sat far further out. Even in the O2, you get yeah. a better view and you're far, you, you get a good view and you're far further away. So decent enough view and he knows his dad doesn't, isn't is isn't going to want to take those seats that he's being offered as a handout. Yeah. To just say, look how rich I am. Mm-hmm. Do you think they could have been friends? Do you think if they'd got together, if they'd approached? They could have, they could have worked out. Yeah, do you think he could ever have been convinced that I have your son's best interests at heart?
1: As he gets older, yeah. When he's telling him to stay in school, he drags him out of a fucking car that ends up blowing up. So, you know
0: what I mean is, it ever still is he? Are the methods uh, and the the life that he lives is You're... he ever going to be able to get past that when he's so principled?
1: Maybe not, but I think you even friends is maybe not the wrong word, but I think you. He says that I respect you, but he respects the idea of him. But I think yeah. if if you they sat and had a conversation, this is what I'm saying to your kid. I understand that the law's there, but I'm doing everything I can to keep him away from it. If it's not me, it's going to be some other guy dragging him in. I think you, you could you could get on board with it. You have to like, you could respect the respect the teachings.
0: I think from what we see from the character, the fact that it only gets physical at one stage. And that's yeah. really at the height of everything. Says that there is a level of respect there, and we get that from their showdown. Yeah, you get the shot. You you follow De Niro as he marches into the bar, asking at the bar, "Is Sunny in?" And we're geared up. We gear. We're geared up for a showdown at this point. Yeah, you expect them for hands. This is Stone Cold and the Rock ready to get it on and. First of all, I respect you, Lorenzo. You're a stand-up guy, and we're from the same neighbourhood. But don't ever talk to me like that again. I tell your kid to go to school, to go to college. And he says, you don't understand. It's not what you say. It's what he sees, the clothes, the cars, the money. It's everything. He tried to throw away his baseball cards. He said, Mickey Mantle will never pay his his (laughs) rent. And as you said, he starts laughing. He says, he said that to you. I don't believe this kid. (laughs) Yes. And then he, he is He's almost, he's just pleading that's not funny not when your kid has a bigger bank account than you
1: yeah
0: and he's being very polite no I said no just leave my son alone and then the the thing that really he stands up and says don't you see how I treat that kid I treat him like he's my son
1: yeah he ain't your son
0: he's my son and then Sonny gets offended (laughs) at the sheer nerve to say that he's not your son
1: I think he gets offended when he starts screaming at him basically to be honest
0: so I know you are, Sonny. I know what you're capable of and I would never step out of line. You can ask anyone in this neighbourhood who knows me, but this time you're wrong. You don't fool the man's family. This is my son, not yours. Yeah. And I think you see some of Sonny's character in how he's had to deal with things previously, because at that point he says, what are you going to do? Fight me. Yeah. Like, there's no there's no other way around it in that yeah. instance for him.
1: No, no, no. That's just who he is.
0: And we do then, I think we are very clearly, maybe you'll say different, siding with De Niro at this point. Oh, I no, think we still finished. have to...
1: Hey, I'm under the lights. Okay. He's well, got me re- reeled in. He does throughout this film.
0: My The way I had it is at this stage, say I'm 70-30 De Niro. Maybe 80-20. I acknowledge the character the one character's cooler, but anytime someone is principled in these kind of films, you, you give it some credence, and particularly when it's De Niro. And I think after this scene, when you start to see him breaking down more, and you see that there is a genuine relationship there, it's not one where he's just using him, like he's yeah. actually looking out for him, then I think he grinds you down as the film, grinds you down's wrong, he works on you as the film goes on. Yeah. And you find out that, this isn't just the story that any of us could have written about how a bus driver and a mobster have a disagreement and one of them has to take out the other Mm -hmm. to get the kid. This is about two men who have a completely different experience of life and they're trying to do the best they can to help this boy who's stuck in the middle. Yeah. Because like, look at the guy who gets up in the morning and goes off to work and supports his family. That's heroism. Like, that's sound advice. And then Sonny's advice of you can't live your life on the basis of what other people think you should do because when the chips are down, nobody really cares is also very sound advice. Also
1: really sound advice.
0: So it's... I don't know if it was just from how I went into it, but I didn't... I didn't expect it to be this one where both sides are present. I thought it was very much going to be we need to try and lure my son away from evil. Yeah. And it turns out the evil actually, when you're on the other side, I mean, we still know the things he's done. Mm. But they're very... We don't ever see any of that. So at least you still have to take him at the face value.
1: But you do see him shoot someone like six minutes in.
0: But they differ... They... Defend that as it being that he's backing up his friend who's about to be beaten with a baseball bat.
1: Yeah. Framing it over a parking what's quite funny.
0: Yeah, this isn't um the way they framed Jack Nicholson in the departed.
1: No, no, no. There's there's less there's a lot more method, a lot less psycho psycho, psycho I can't really speak psycho.
0: that uh, a lot less crazy.
1: I can't speak this even.
0: <laughs> um so what other advice was given in this um, alright listen to me you got to pull up to where she lives you got to get out of the car you lock both doors then get out of the car you walk over to her you bring her to the car dig out the key put it in the lock and open the door for her then you let her get in you close the door and you walk back around the car and look through the rear window if she doesn't reach over and lift up the button so you can get in dump her he had me fired up in this moment, in this moment.
1: It's
0: fucking horrific advice. Just like that. And he said, listen to me, kid. If she doesn't reach over and lift up that button so you can get in, that means she's a selfish broad, and all you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. You dump her and You dump her fast. Yeah.
1: His
0: right. uh, advice is about three great ones. That's- I've got this next. And this, <laughs> I was ready to have this tattooed in the moment. <laughs> because it just sounded cool. I don't know what sense it makes, but it just sounded like, it was good advice. Mm-hmm. you got to do what your heart tells you to do. Let me tell you something right now. You're only allowed three great women in your lifetime. They come along like the great fighters every 10 years. Rocky Marciano, Sugar Ray Robinson, Joe Lewis. Sometimes you get them all at once. <laughs> me, I had three when I was 16. That happens. What are you going to do? <laughs> That's the way it goes. you know. Tell you right now. You see this girl, maybe this girl. She put wind in your sails, and maybe she's your first great one.
1: What are you gonna do? It's just a phenomenal line. A phenomenal <laughs> life. In any time, even in the Irishman, what are you gonna do?
0: That when I, as soon as he said, "They come on like the, like the great fighters every ten years," <laughs> I was just hook, line, and it. Yeah,
1: it's, it's very, it's very, very good. He's like, he is he's phenomenal in this.
0: Um. Compared to with Lorenzo, um, sometimes in the heat of passion, the little head tells the big head what to do and the big head should <laughs> think twice about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, the old man's not a fan of the... Uh...
0: Maybe, maybe when I added my Sydney Sweeney headline to News of the Week.
1: should have listened to that advice.
0: The little head was telling the big head what to do. Yeah. Trouble is like a cancer, you've got to get it early. And he does, doesn't he? He eventually gets him early yeah. enough that he doesn't meet that demise at the end of the film.
1: Yeah. No, you... like Travelling with Molotovs is just
0: wild. <laughs> what What do you think about the um, kind of racial backdrop to this film? Because I thought they handled it quite well.
1: I would presume it was this autobiographical, so it might have been it. It's not... There are a lot of racist moments in college, it, but it's... I don't know how to say this it's not, no, it is over in places, but it's, it's not fucking, it's not. It never feels trivial. No, it's, I I imagine it was an immigrant story. Like they talk about so many films touched on it. This neighborhood used to be X and it's now becoming Y and it's a feeling of displacement. It's, it's essentially the feeling of gentrification, but, quite possibly without it it's a change changing and it's a change in your living stand, it, living, changing the place you live and home is close to everyone's heart do you know what I mean home is where the heart is but it is close to everyone's heart they're yeah, changing like... that it, 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 it riles people That's that's true to this day
0: and they also couldn't paint this if they painted this to be this beautiful wonderful place where nothing bad ever happened then yeah, the, like the entire film wouldn't make sense.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. I thought they didn't shy away from it. Um, they actually showed what I thought, which I thought was important, that most people didn't even know what they were angry about. Yeah, it was just passed down by generations. And um, yeah, Caligero, and he's one of the first people that actually questions it. And I thought, really, what I thought was the whole point of this. Um, story that's kind of fed from probably the middle point onwards was to show that it wasn't good versus evil. It wasn't good versus bad, with his dad and Sonny yeah. because his dad is the prejudiced one in that situation. And Sonny is telling him, well, if you love the girl, then go for it. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was really the main point of it was just showing that, that it wasn't quite, I was going to say it's black and white as, um, mm-hmm. You perhaps feel it could be at the start of the film.
1: Yeah, it's like it feeds into real life, doesn't it? No, no, nobody is black and white. Like, and I don't mean racially. I mean, no, no, one person is is that binary. Again, probably a bad choice of words, considering. But everyone, every every individual has layers to them, and different reasonings and different motivations, and so on and so forth, and. That's true of whether you're a good person or a bad person, different experiences form who you are.
0: Well, also just the side where a lot of these people had no issue with the other neighbourhood, but they couldn't be seen to be feeling that way. And it was a pride thing. And it really hammered home in how ridiculous it is when C was saying but I, I do really like it. And say, well then, what does he say? Um, when it's only you two under the duvet at the end of the night, then you realise that's all that matters.
1: Yeah. It's the same. It's, it's essentially the same advice he gives him right at the start of the film, right?
0: Yeah, like, and it's don't right the, your,
1: don't, there's no point living your life on whatever people think.
0: And I think part of what they're trying to show is he doesn't feel too ashamed to hang around with his friends who are nothing, they're almost nothing but bad people. From no, they the, the middle thick-heads. point onwards, we see nothing good from them. All they do yeah. is bring trouble. Yeah. Um, they're bringing guns into the neighbourhood. They're racist. And <laughs> he
1: him trying to buy that gun.
0: <laughs> yeah. And just, that—that's—that's that's that's it, isn't it? And it kind of tilts away and this is the life that he's going into. And I mm. think it's to show that all of the people that are within this life aren't the same because he says, um, do as I say, not what I do, mm-hmm. doesn't he? Later on, when he catches, that's after the gun, isn't it?
2: Yeah,
0: and it's, it's really the only predictable thing I found in the film was as soon as she said she had a brother, and they just had the scene with them, yeah, uh, beating obvious, up yeah. the um black kids on the bike. I thought, yeah, I can see, I can see where this one's going that
1: something has to happen for the end to come about, do you know what I
0: mean? Yeah, I also thought... I don't know what it was... what we were supposed to take from his character, because his, his character is then racist to her. Mm. And he says it in a way like that slipped out because he he grabs his mouth immediately afterwards. Yeah. And so... I thought they were going to make a bigger point of that and so maybe that it was ingrained in him or all of these things and then she kind of just forgets that the next time she sees him and I don't know if the point is that she's used to that
1: I think it's A she's used to it and B by it being a small thing I think that probably shows it's ingrained in him more that it's in one moment where he's not necessarily concentrating that's the, the, that's the first thing you reach for and then, and if, if maybe in the grand apology, scheme of things, if there's a big apology tour to it, it doesn't I mean, it necessarily feels realistic to the time they were they were in. No. The people weren't. People maybe it's to sh- show how really close
0: long. he was to which way this could have gone. Yeah. There's there's a fun theory that the bomb planted in Sonny's car was retaliation from the bikers.
2: Mm.
0: He told the bikers to remember him. And yeah. he pointed out his car by saying, "Watch my car." Where do you stand on that? Do we need to know? Do you have an idea of who you think I, it was?
1: I don't really care, mate, who it was. So brilliant. Does it being the bikers do anything more for you?
0: It doesn't. No, I hadn't even considered that. So I, by the time the film had ended, I actually it wasn't even in my mind. No,
1: that's what I mean.
0: Um, the biker scene is is great, by the way. I know. I think that's your highlight of the film, is it?
1: yeah it could be uh, it, it, right up there now you can't leave. and all the courage <laughs> is drained from their face
0: and him again where he's not about that life yeah it's it one,
1: one dig and he's not he's not
0: that guy, he was conscious about how he was being framed yeah the scene in which he is confronted by sonny they do they do a really great thing, and I saw it broken down by a screenwriter yeah and they described this film they described this um film as being one of the great instances of what they described as set up reinforcement payoff and it's something you see in every film that you're ever going to watch yeah but they said in this they just do it throughout the film and it's just layered and layered and layered and so you've got the johnny could never make a friend um Johnny's got lots of friends, but not one that he can trust. And then C says he trusts me. And then you've got that reinforced again, where he says, the girls I meet today, I don't know if they like me or what I represent. And then it's the payoff where he finds the bomb in his car. And he says, after you pick the car, where did you go? Was there ever really a Jane? Johnny, I would never hurt you. You've been like a, you broke my heart. Just leave me alone. How many times have you just called him Johnny, by the way? Oh, that's what I had down in, um, when I was taking it. And then I've just questioned that myself. Um,
1: I mean, the guy's name's not
0: Johnny, but no, no, um, <laughs> no, um, late night when I was doing my notes. So there we go. You can see, I don't copy and paste. Yeah. Um, there you go. Sonny, I would never hurt you being like, a, you broke my heart. Just leave me alone. And yeah. it ties in, and it's just the bow perfectly with um, how he's been told mm-hmm. he'll never trust anyone. And he thinks he's probably the closest person to him, and even he doesn't trust him not to try and kill him. Yeah. And you got another couple. I mean, everybody loved my father. My father loved everybody, and uh, they love him just like they love you. And he says, people don't love him, they fear him. And then we yes. get the. It's nice to be both, but if I had my choice, I'd rather be feared because fear lasts longer than love.
1: It's probably true, isn't
0: it? Yeah. And it's
1: depressing. I thought it is, but it's not a it's not an inaccurate statement.
0: No. One one of the first things I wrote down and mainly because I thought uh Sonny looked like um Richie April. Hmm. This film is what Many Saints of Newark should have been.
1: I'm yet to finish the surprise, I haven't seen Many Saints of Newark.
0: No, so... Yeah, this is essentially what it should have been, a a kid where... Because Tony, even from what you've seen, never wants his children to end up in the same business that he's in. Yeah. And it was the same for his father, who essentially didn't think he was up to the task. Yeah the scene in which Sonny says, you know why I live in this neighborhood? Availability. Yeah. I paused it and I started writing my notes. And I thought, I wrote down, you know, around by me, you've got a Jane's pantry, you've got a chip shop, you've got a Chinese, you've got an Indian, you've got a kebab place. The availability is spot on. And then Sonny went on to explain what he meant by that. And it was very different to what, I took from his availability statement. Yes, strangely. I think he would have been happier if he did have a James Pantry by him. I might add.
1: Once again, James Pantry, <clears throat> please. That's <let> no.
0: <laughs> All the boys gathered in for one of their custard donuts.
1: Yeah, getting on them chicken and bacon baguettes would have been very <laughs> happy.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the grand moral story, and I usually do ask you this: is it not racists get barbecued essentially? <laughs> Um
1: Well, no, I don't think it is. I think the brand moral story is—I don't know how, how it's best to describe it—but it's essentially the Lorenzo is the moral point, not just in his words, but in that you try and do the right thing, and sometimes it don't pay off. So, is it worth it? Is 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 essentially the question the film poses?
0: Yeah, I was—I was being facetious, but they do get barbecued. I think they comment don't they they were white before and they look better now they're toasted so yeah that was my main reflection of it um jokingly was that but yeah that there was a different in what the right thing to do was and maybe it wasn't always as black and white as uh, it's laid out to be i
1: the other question that's asked is sometimes is it worth it to do the right thing
0: yeah, and they laid the stall out pretty early on that, don't they? That the good thing isn't is definitely not always the right thing to do because you got to think of yourself. You got to think of yourself first uh, sometimes.
1: Yeah, and I mean you'd love to be, you mean you'd love to be the perfect person and say if it's at the cost of someone else, and then it's not the thing to do. But you know, you say, sure you you hope not to hope oh, it's not too consequential, but sometimes you've got to look after number one, not you?
0: Yeah, and I think the fact that they do end it with it's not they're sat on a park bench and they've each got one arm around C mm-hmm. in the middle and they're telling him that you're off to college now and
1: yeah, we did it.
0: <laughs> it does, it does end how I guess you think it should.
1: That it ends essentially with actions have consequences, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah, now. I think that's, I, that's
1: probably, actually, that's, that is literally the, the moral of the of the story, mate, is actions have consequences.
0: Yeah, I mentioned my letterboxd in previous weeks. I did give this a five stars, so it's been added to the collection there. Mm. Um, dare I say, the third masterpiece in three weeks.
1: I think this is very close to a masterpiece. I also, as I watched this this week, I believe I've told you before that Reservoir Dogs is is quite high up on my list of favourite films ever. Um, It fluctuates; it changes. Number one is just locked off, walled off. I I I actually think it's at this point my love for Goodfellas is is so is so ingrained that I'm not sure what what would need to happen to change it. I think I'd have to direct the film, maybe. but my, my love for it, but outside of that, it's, it's very malleable. There's films that pop up and stay. As I was watching this, I was, I've was i been sat thinking, do I prefer this? Um, which is obviously something that I'll give you a full answer to when we do our <laughs> judging, but this is... It's, it's just, like you say, for a film that sort of bucks the trend for what it could be, it just ends up so much better. And it's not a phrase; it's a phrase I actually hate when it's used a lot of the time uh, when it comes to film. But it, this is a film with it's, it, this is a film with a lot of heart. Isn't it?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I um, felt more emotional at the end of the film than I thought I would when they're speaking to. Yeah, Sunny uh, in his coffin.
1: Yeah, and Big Peshi pops up.
0: Yeah, so I'd seen on IMDb that he was in the film. And then I kind of just assumed I'd missed him. Mm. And then se- seeing him at the end, I have to be honest, the, the closest feeling I have to that <laughs> is when Lance Armstrong appeared in Dodgeball. <laughs>
1: Fucking Lance Armstrong. Fucking <laughs> oh, was, was, Chuck Norris on it, sorry.
0: Yeah, and that, was, and that was what I would, that was how I would compare it, in just that mm. it didn't ever feel like it was anyone but Joe Pesci to me in that moment because we'd had no building of him. Yes, I get it. I watched Goodfellas and it's not Joe Pesci. It's the no, I watched Casino mm-hmm. and it's not Pesci. But in this scene, it just felt like Joe Pesci playing Joe Pesci again.
1: Yeah, I uh, often wonder, or often have wondered, at the end of he says, "Look, I'm going to be around for a while, looking after things. If you need anything, come to me." I don't think you could. I don't think they ever would have done it. and I don't think there would have been enough substance to to do. But I often wonder what a second one would have looked like. Same, same cast, but you put Pesci in instead of Chaz Palencia, and maybe he's a different guy, and he's really trying to lure him in. Um yes. But I, I don't think it would have worked. I don't think you need it. But hey, Pesci and De Niro. Yeah. I'm never. I'm, not, I'm never going to say no to putting them on the same screen and no, giving them a sure. couple of scenes together.
0: Um. So yeah, really good. Anything else you want to add before we get to the judging?
1: No, 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 no. Let's do it.
0: All right. Which film did you prefer?
1: Uh, A a Bronx Tale.
0: Nice.
1: I, I agree. I'm really surprised that if you'd have asked me Monday, yeah, I never would have given you that answer.
0: Which film do you think is more rewatchable?
1: I don't know. Like this is probably the I talk about we talk about fights, fights early and great fighters. This is probably as close to a fifty-fifty like, as a fifty-fifty fighters we've had.
0: Um. If you don't choose, it's just on me, so I'm not sure you want that.
1: No, no, that's that's fine. If you ask me right now, which one do I want to go and put on this evening to go and watch, it would be a Bronx Tale. But you could ask me in 45 minutes' time, and I might have changed that.
0: I agree that I would watch that one sooner now, but I think hmm. in the grand scheme of things, I do think um, Reservoir Dogs is more rewatchable I think it ticks more uh, of the boxes yeah. that I need. Yeah, fair so enough. That'd be that
1: my like, pick. Oh yeah, I've got, I've got no problem with that whatsoever. Like I say, you could ask me in forty-five minutes' time when I've sat settled and thought about Reservoir Dogs again, and that might well be my answer. Like I say, these are two, these are two films that I adore, and yeah. it's very, it's it's very hard to pick between.
0: Which, what do you think's the best moment slash scene?
1: I don't know. Um, I got like four or five that you could give me, and I would just say yes to all of them. Um, I knew this wasn't going to be fun.
0: What do you think? Say, what What did you think of Guillermo del Toro saying in the week that he'd give he'd give up years off his life to give to Scorsese?
1: Oh, I agree. <laughs> I don't know if I've got many years to give, but he, he could he can have a few. Um, favorite scene: Madsen, it's the torture scene. Okay.
0: Mine is the uh initial showdown between Sonny and um Lorenzo, but that yeah. would be my second.
1: I was also going to go I was tempted to go to bar fight.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh best quote for you. Uh mainly cuz it's the one I
1: of the two films it's the one I think about um the most is are, are you going to stand there all day all day little doggy or are you going to bite? especially when he says it the second time. Are you going to bark all day, sorry, little doggy, or are you going to bite?
0: Mine is the um, three great women quote. Could have been that,
1: but I don't think about that as much as I think about Michael Madsen saying, saying that. Yep. Mickey Mantle is not going to pay my rent. He's fantastic as well. <laughs> MVP? It's got to be Lorenzo, no?
0: Yeah, I would have given it to Mister Pink, but he does hide under a uh, he does hide <laughs> hide under some steps um, in the conclusion. So yeah, I've got to go, Lorenzo.
1: He probably comes out the cleanest of everyone.
0: Yeah. Uh, best side character. Uh, Mush, Mush is up there
1: <laughs> for more how people interact with him than for for who he is. Um...
0: I don't really know how we're determining side characters in Reservoir Dogs. Dogs.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, because my my instinct is Mr. Pink. I would agree. He's missing for a large portion of the film, but he's also integral. So if you'll allow me, that will be my answer.
0: Yeah, let's do it. You may need to turn me down a little bit. I'm getting some feedback. Sorry, I had to to move. Um... Yeah, it's not good. Um, Most powerful Don. So I guess that would be Sonny and Joe.
1: Uh, I'm going to say Sonny. Agreed. More, mainly because we see more out of him. Yeah.
0: Better dressed.
1: It's a, that's a close one, you know. Sonny looks sharp a lot of the time. But for the uh, combination of suits, it's Reservoir Dogs.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, In fact, the next time I wear a suit, I may need someone to just candidly Get me in slow motion just to see if I can look anywhere near as cool. They do on swingers, don't they? Where they yes. say, oh, "I hate that people rip off Tarantino nowadays," <laughs> and then do yes. the exact thing. Um, best soundtrack.
1: Uh, it's a, a Bronx Tale, mate.
0: <sighs> okay, okay, that is a close one. They got the two highlights with the open the opening credits and stuck in the middle with you. I'm gonna go Reservoir Dogs on that.
1: I. On the Streets of the Bronx is actually just a brilliant song.
0: Did did you feel it was Scorsese in any way? I looked to see the year because I initially thought it was earlier, and that's when it made a lot more sense that perhaps he could have had some influence there.
1: Well, I think he did this, certainly in the music. Um also come together as in the bar scene is brilliant.
0: Yeah, good show. Uh, originality. A Bronx Tale. I'm going to go Reservoir Dogs for the time with the dialogue. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things. A Bronx Tale is more original for me now. Mm-hmm. Um, a bigger impact. Uh,
1: Reservoir Dogs, right? Yeah. Not even close.
0: Best opening scene. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Agreed. Best Ending.
1: Reservoir
0: Pugs It's a Bronx tail for me Okay <clears throat> And best chemistry It's a Bronx Tale I agree
1: I'm not This is a rare week Because I'm not really I'm not really I'm not going to be upset Whoever goes out
0: Well then It's probably the best way This could have been handled Because it's 4-4 Oh nice. With nice. a Bronx tail Going through on the tiebreaker
1: yeah, I like. I'm not, I'm not.
0: Closest matchup of the season, I believe.
1: Yeah, and it's the closest matchup in my heart, so I like that. I like that you've got on board with for me tonight.
0: So that goes through to the next round. Now, if I just get here, so next week we have the usual suspects. No,
1: oh, an inside
0: in man. Nice.
1: You ever seen Inside Man? I have, yeah. Seen Usual Suspects?
0: I have, yeah. I've only ever seen it once. I've only ever seen both of them once, so this will be my second watch for the pair of them.
1: I've seen Inside Man twice.
0: Well, we'll get into that next week. So thank you again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. We'll be back. Goodbye.